Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the NFL Scotland podcast. We're well into April now and all eyes turn to the draft for 2019. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell. The rumour machine is in full swing. Will the Cardinals go with Murray? Is it Bosa? Is it Williams? To be honest, we're not sure, but we'll be chatting over some of the things we're looking forward to finding out on draft night. We've caught up with one Scotsman who's already made the team as we had a chat with Cam Craig of the Carolina Havoc to find out about how he made the final roster and how his season has been going so far. The early demise of the AAF has come as a disappointment to many. We'll be talking over our thoughts on yet another failed attempt at an NFL alternative. We'll then finish up as ever with some of the latest news. However, to kick this episode off, we have another of our own as we announce the third edition to the NFL Scotland team as journalist Ian Stevens signs up as a semi-regular. Ian, welcome along. We've had a better draft than the Jets are probably going to have. We're delighted. Your experience, though, playing for Strathclyde Hawks, the Lanarkshire Steelers, the Kirkcaldy Bulls in your younger years. Is this a step up or step down for you joining the podcast? Um, This is probably... Um, a bonus because I don't think I'm going to step away from this podcast recording injured <laughs> which is which happened to me enough every single time I played so yeah the night is young yeah <laughs> could get rockers in here so to kick off episode 46 then as we said at the top there we're getting ever closer to the draft the stories at the moment are obviously it's all mock drafts, it's all whispers and rumours, it's visits, it's players going here, players are going to be traded for, players are going to be moved back, up and down, someone's falling, someone's in favour. Right now it's noise. But what do you make from it? What, who are the players that you've seen some footage of or heard some stories about? What are the stories that catch your eye and that think, and you think are the most interesting? Um, well, the, the first pick obviously going to the, the Cardinals is going to be interesting because... Um, everyone's now projecting it's going to be uh, Kyler Murray going in there um, Cliff Kingsbury wants his own man they think Rosen's going to get traded the Redskins are the kind of team that's mooted that's going to happen but apparently um, off-season conditioning started yesterday for Arizona first player in the building Josh Rosen so he's not wanting to go anywhere I don't know if it's a smokescreen or not you could well see them uh, trading out from that uh, position. If, uh, I don't think Kyler Murray is a lock as a, a number one overall in the draft. If you're talking about Andrew Luck, then yeah, definitely throw your 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 um, draft card in as quickly as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. For me, watching Kyler Murray play, I mean, he's only had one one year effectively. He had that love affair with baseball. He's only recently come out and said no. I want to play NFL. Is it going to be like Michael Jordan? He suddenly retires and goes off to, to play another sport? You never know. Um, but also, he's not that tall. Um, you can compare him to Russell Wilson in that, that regard. But if you look at Russell Wilson as a quarterback, he, he doesn't really play from the pocket. He's a, a quarterback that has to get out of the pocket to make a lot of his throws. Is that going to be the kind of offence that Arizona want to operate with him? And watching him play... Um, from what I've heard, the offense that was set up for him at Oklahoma, it was a, a pre-snap read that he made, decided where he was going. If he didn't like it when the ball was snapped, he would then improvise. It doesn't work that way in the NFL. Um, so whoever drafts him has to be comfortable that he can run an NFL offense. He's also got a short, kind of choppy steps. He's not a, a long strider when he runs, so it's not like Michael Vick you're going to be getting with a scrambling quarterback. The player that he reminds me of 
Doug Flutie. <laughs> right, okay. So, Doug Flutie was serviceable in the NFL. Yep. He was a superstar in uh, Canada. Although he once offended The Rock. Because he, he said he, when The Rock was playing in Canada, he said he wanted to turn the WWF off because it was a load of rubbish. <laughs> and of course, The Rock's dad was former WWF champion, Rocky Johnson, so The Rock didn't like Doug Flutie after that. Um, well, apparently The Rock acted surprised, but nobody understood what he was trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting one with Kyle Murray. Five foot ten, like you say. Um, and he's come on the back... Of Baker Mayfield, very much so. You know, Baker obviously went number one last year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't say that. <laughs> He's not done that. Um, we'll dispel those rumours right away. So, <laughs> you do not cut that. You best keep that. I'm going to stay. Okay, he's followed in the footsteps of Baker Mayfield. <laughs> and that wasn't easy. <laughs> no, and no. um, so obviously Baker was the. Um, well, funnily enough, Baker was picked up from a Texas school and brought to Oklahoma, as was Kyler Murray, so there's the similarity there. But Baker was the number one in Oklahoma for a while, as you touched on there. Kyler's only played that one season, so experience isn't really there. His numbers on that single season look tremendous, and they are as good as, if not better in some areas, than Baker Mayfield's were. So on that single season, it looks great. That's where the hype comes from. And to your point about Andrew Luck, I think you're right that if the Cardinals were desperate for a quarterback and they go back to this point last year where they were, then this would make absolute sense. But Rosen was a good Rosen was a good player that was highly tipped to come out of college. They they did well to get him where they got him last year. He had, didn't have a great season last year, but he was kind of in at the deep end. With an aging Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk, he's really only two weapons. You know, David Johnson's coming back from injury, isn't totally himself, wasn't a great no, season it's at all. not the best line in the world either no. in Arizona. The, the thing that, that you can never tell when you're looking from the extreme outside is what he is like when he meets with the teams. That's the most important part of the entire draft process. See, when you go to the Senior Bowl, you get to talk to all the teams. When you go through the combine, you're talking to all the teams. They want to find out what a player is made of. Are you going to crumble when you've got a blitzer coming right up the middle? Are you going to um, be able to lead your team when there's adversity? They want to know all that kind of stuff. And you can't tell a lot. See when they say to a coach at college, oh, what's the guy like? They're always going to say, oh, he's a great guy. His teammates are always going, oh, he's the greatest guy. They said that when Jamarcus Russell was getting drafted. They said that when Ryan Leaf was getting drafted. Okay, so you really, really have to dig down and find out what the moxie of this player is. It's something that we can't actually tell. They, they may be sitting there thinking, wow, this guy, he's going to be brilliant. He's went through the entire chalkboard. He knows everything that's going on. He's got a photographic memory for plays. There's no issues whatsoever. We don't know that. And it could well be a smokescreen for Arizona at the, the moment as well. They, they may be trying to lure somebody into um, trading up with them for whatever reason themselves. Because yeah. you've got... My argument is there's three outstanding players in this draft. Um, so if you're drafted number four, you might miss out. So the Raiders might want to try and jump over the Jets, jump over um, the Niners, the Niners to, to, to do that. The three players I'm talking about are Quinnen Williams yep. from Alabama, yep. Josh Allen from Kentucky, and Joey Bosa from 
Ohio State. Neckbosser. Uh, Neckbosser yeah. from Ohio State. Joy Bosa is available. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, what I think is interesting is that Josh Rosen first in the building, because that's what I would have done. Absolutely no question about it. Straight in that building. Can I just point out that see when we're doing football live, Paul is the last person in the press box. <laughs> Even when he's doing live commentary, he just kind of saunters in and turns the microphone and away he goes. That's it. All the, all the prep's been done. All the prep's been done. It's got lackeys for him getting team sheets and stuff like that. The rest of us have to sit there in the cold and say, can I have a team sheet, please? Yeah. That, that's what you get staff for. <laughs> I think one thing that we, that Josh Rosen has proved is that he can play quarterback in the NFL. Now, he might not have proved he can play it well, but he started enough games. So the questions about how does he handle somebody bearing down on him and all these things actually have been answered. So I think if the Cardinals don't want him, he'll get a taker somewhere else. Because the advantage of trying to get him over picking another quarterback that you're going to sit on your benches, you know he's done it. You know that he's been there and done it. Now, you know, Haskins has been talked about as very well, but if you've seen somebody do it, just go in there and do it. Ha- Haskins is the same boat, though. I mean, he's only had one year of, yeah. of productivity. And a, yeah. and a really good year. And I think this is it. He's had an excellent, excellent year. And I wonder as well whether the that sort of stuff's changed slightly when you look at uh, Jared Goff, who hadn't played a huge amount of football, Mitch Trubisky, who hadn't played a huge amount of football, and now they're playing teams that are in the playoffs. So I wonder whether people are starting to go, well, maybe we're overvaluing the sheer volume of games played. A lot of that's because of how NCAAs now put in the transfer rules, so you didn't have to sit out a season and redshirt it. Mm. Now you can keep, so you're getting a lot of these guys. You've got the kid from um, Georgia that realised he wasn't going to start above Jake Fromm, and he's transferred. I can't remember where he's went, but he's went into one of the top programmes. So you're getting a lot of flitting for just one season. And it's it's, it's tougher on um, front offices now to evaluate that, that talent in a, a kind of shorter period because scouts are talking to these players after every single game. And unless you know this guy's got a reputation and he's playing, you might not spend as much time trying to get to know these players as you would with a four-year starter, a guy that's a five-star recruit coming out of college. Yeah, I mean, if you find yourself behind a guy who perhaps you didn't expect to be such a good player, you don't want to sit behind him for three years or four years at college. You want your chance. So I understand that the movement being allowed, I still think the year out was an interesting one because it, almost, it was trying to discourage people mm-hmm. from doing that. So I'm not overly convinced that that's necessarily a change for the better. But look at it the other way. There are people fluffing up Kyler Murray from the point of view to try and make him that valuable. I've not really seen the same for Nick Bosa, Josh Allen, Rashan Gary. It's almost like they know they're going in the top five, top six. They're not overly But, but Bosa, Bosa was, was uh, picked in August of uh, 2018. Yeah. That was it. I mean, Bosa's yeah. best player in the draft. Even though he had his abdominal injury, that yeah. was that. He's he, he's going number two. But that's interesting that there's not. He he's comfortable and confident in himself that he doesn't need to be the number one draft pick. He's not pushing for that. Whereas Kyler Murray, there does seem to be almost that height. I suppose it comes with the position of quarterback. You just get that little bit of added hype going in there. If I'm a team that's looking for either a quarterback for a year, I wouldn't. If I was Josh Rosen, I wouldn't be rushing to Washington. Uh, but you know, there's been one or two rumours out in New England that the Patriots might take him and sit him. You go there quite mm. happily. 
Um, if you can get out, if there's going to be no love for you in Arizona, because the other theory is that they could draft Kyler Murray and sit him behind Josh Rosen, and you've got two rookies on rookie deals, and you actually don't have to make a decision on them for a year or two. That creates a different dynamic. Are they going to be friends? Are they going to be enemies? You know, are, you, are they going to try and split the camp? So again, that comes down to what you said about character. You know, does Kyler Murray have the maturity that would be needed to be in that sort of 50-50 partnership? Or is his agent basically saying, you sign him, you play him? Yeah. Or, or is he like Jamarcus Russell and he likes purple drink? <laughs> did, you, did you ever hear that? Oh, what, what his downfall was? He loved a, a concoction which was um, cough syrup that had codeine mixed with lemonade. And he would drink it when he went to parties. And one of the side effects is severe obesity because it's it's high sugar levels. In fact, your teeth will drop out. And apparently he drank this quite a lot and it contributed to him being like 280 pounds when he was in the NFL. <laughs> Plus, um, he never, uh, his position coach uh, said to him, um, go away, take a look at these plays, come back and give me five and we'll stick it in the game plan. So he comes back the next day and I said, did you did you see the plays? Yeah, yeah, it's all the plays. Well, what, what do you want in? Like them all, coach. Put in whatever you want. No, what what five did you like, coach? I like them all. You just take them. All. You whatever you want. Put it in. And his coach just went. I gave you a blank tape. Oh. At that point, the Raiders kind of went. I don't think he's the right no. one for us. <laughs> See, Johnny Football would have blamed the tape machine. Uh, just John Football now as well. John, we known as John. John Man. Listen, go back and watch. Mr. Football, <laughs> when he was playing um, at Texas A&M, and there's a lot of similarity between yeah. him and Kyler Murray, the way they played. Totally. And it doesn't always translate. Right, last point on Kyler Murray before we move on. I wonder, then the one thing that I haven't seen much discussed, so much of this, I think, has fallen on the fact that Cliff Kingsbury said about a year ago that if he was a head coach and Kyler Murray's there at number one, he'd be taking him. I wonder how much of this is maybe just to save face. And if the Cardinals thought, you know what, let's let the rumours go. Let's let it be what it is because we don't want our head coach out there explaining first and foremost why he's now going back on his work because it undermines himself right away. So do you know what? Let it be the rumour. They go in, the number one pick, and they pick up Quinn and Williams. And then do you know what? Everyone just goes, oh, what a great pick. And it's all forgotten about. Um, so I wonder whether that would be the approach that they're taking. And on that... Quinnen Williams, Nick Bosa, Josh Allen. The same top three that I've got in mind as well as players based on stats and everything and all the hype coming out of it. Now, I don't watch a huge amount of college football, so um, I'm going on tapes and highlights and stuff like that, numbers. Uh, but they do look like three unique players based on numbers. Yes. Um, the, 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 these guys are the, the, the three safest, I think. They've all got questions. Bosa with his injury. Yeah. Um, Williams only really kind of one season of production, but what season it was. Yeah. And Josh Allen suddenly put on 15 to 20 pounds of muscle in the off season. Mm. <laughs> yeah. just, just be careful when somebody asks you to go for a P Josh. Uh, <laughs> um, but the, 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 the way that they, and it's also, it fits in, especially with Bosa and Allen, that the premium is if you can't get a quarterback, you get somebody that can sack him. And that those two guys are excellent um, pass rushers Williams is different his interior defensive line he's not as good a pass rusher as Aaron Donald but he's he's as solid as you can get well his numbers are absolutely mad you know I looked at it for 2017 versus 2018 2017 is decent you know uh, 
played 14 games, total of 20 tackles, six and a half for a loss, two sacks. Not horrible stats, but okay, meh. He basically tripled his output in 2018. Absolutely mad. 71 total tackles, 19 and a half for a loss and eight sacks. I mean, that is three times the tackles, more than three times the tackles from 2017. Uh, just about three times the tackles for a loss and four times the sacks. I mean, it really was a monster season that he had last year. It's just he got more playing time. The, the the guys that are ahead of him, they all moved on. It's just the Alabama conveyor yeah. belt, essentially, which is part of the issue that some teams had in, in that they're so well coached, they've already hit the ceiling, they're not going to get any better. So that's one thing that um, there's a kind of note of caution for a lot of talent evaluators in that they've already played for Alabama and the, that's as good as they're going to get. But even at six foot three, over three hundred pounds, and did the forty yard dash in four point eight three, he's a, just a big, fast man. And he, he he can play various techniques as well. He's he can move up and down the line. He's if if he is as good as what it looks like he will be, he's going to be a 10, 12 year player in the NFL if he stays healthy. He's he's a solid draft pick. So if he's going to have the hype coming in off the twenty eighteen, obviously Nick Bosa last year touched on the injury, but before that. What a start he had. And I think there was a chat about him potentially being the Heisman winner even after a couple of games. And then he did his injury. The last the last defensive Heisman winner, I think, might have been Charles Woodson. Right, okay. And he played offense yeah. part of that season as well, so they don't give the Heisman to defensive guys. No, they, they, they certainly don't. What I find interesting is I always look at these things and think, who's going to be the first to blink and actually come out of the top five picks and try and maximise something else? And the rumour at the moment is the Jets. The Jets might actually come come out. Josh Allen is currently predicted to go to the Jets. They need a pass rusher. But is we he the- also need to see Josh Allen hunting down Josh Allen when the Jets play the Bills twice a season. <laughs> I think that in itself is brilliant. That, that's a commentator's night. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any idea how many players called Williams are coming into oh, really? the draft as well? There's so many Williamses. See, what, t- talking of names, I, I've, I've got a, t- a top 10, in fact, a top 32 mock draft in front of me and it's as if somebody has picked one to five with reasonable names and then you get Quinnen Williams Jawan Taylor Montez Sweat so they're clearly starting to make these names up <laughs> Andre Dillard and then TJ Hawkinson it's like a roster for a, a fancy football yeah. team that you've got to create yourself I mean, some of these start to get ridiculous Montez Sweat <laughs> I've not seen too much of Montez Sweat but you've just got to like him immediately yeah. he had a great um he has a really good combine as well. Ridiculous combine. Yeah, yeah. He, absolute, he was quicker than most defensive backs. <laughs> but turns out that Mister Sweat has got a serious heart condition. Oh, does he? Yes. Ah. And Maurice Hurst was projected as a first round pick last year, and mm. they found out he had a congenital heart defect. Went round to the fifth round and got picked by the Raiders. So he's 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 going to, he's had a bizarre yo-yo um, because his combine was so good and yes. then they discovered the that yeah, yeah it's, it's it's going to be interesting to see where where he goes he could tumble out the first round altogether see i think what what they talk about is that usually in a draft there are 10 to 12 players that are stick on nfl career you're talking 8 9 10 11 years after that you are starting to take more of a chance and I'm not sure if I've got a top 10 pick that, with that medical advice, you could actually ha- you know, actually go with that. It's a really interesting one. The guy I want to talk about, though, is, is Devin White. Because yeah. we saw him play 
for LSU when we were over. I have to say, the current projection has them going to the Buccaneers. And as an LSU person to the Buccaneers, I don't like that at all. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd like to see something shift uh, in the draft. I don't want to see him going there because he's one of these players I really like. I like watching him for LSU. And to see him from a selfish point of view, a Saints fan, going to the Bucs, then I can't be rooting against them. And I don't really... And he's another one that's come off an absolute monster season. You yeah. know, absolutely huge. In fact, over the last two seasons, 2017, 133 total tackles. Last year, 123 total tackles. Um, it's just monster numbers. But fastest linebacker in the draft at 4.42. That's quick. Um, the, the, and he's a brilliant player. He, he's, he's fast great, and he can fast, tackle. He can tackle. But the issue is um, how affected he is at diagnosing what's going on we don't know that. That's again, that's sitting down in the classroom with him and this guy's um, calling stuff out to coaches or whatever. But if he can't die, he's the place. If he's not in the right, you'll get found out immediately in the, the NFL. It doesn't matter how fast you are, it just means you're running the wrong direction quicker than anyone else. Yeah. We've seen a few players like that. Yes. Yeah, definitely. But another good player coming out of LSU is Grady Williams, the cornerback. Um, now we... I don't think we saw much of him. I think he was no, I mean, carrying they, an injury that day. And plus, they were he, playing Rice. Yeah. You know, I could have probably slotted him at yeah. quarterback, a cornerback, I, even quarterback for LSU that day. It was one of these strange ones. But again, he's one of these players that, you know, having watched him, you'd like to see him make it with with somebody. And I, I think it's interesting. I mean, Ian, you're right. You know, you, we, we watched little bits of college football, but suddenly you get attached to a player for a bizarre reason of course the name Greedy is enough in this case yeah. and you just want to see somebody like that do well and by all accounts he's you know, a good kid you know, fairly yeah. solid and projected to go in the first round as well yeah. probably so I mean he's, he's definitely talented um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you this right here right? Yeah. I'm pretty sure you're going to get somebody in the podcast at some point who's going to advocate heavily for Greedy Williams going to talk about how good he was in 2017 great cornerback he's, he's long he can pay press Greedy Williams cannot tackle to save his life. <laughs> if you play in a variety of defensive schemes in the NFL, the cornerback, I know for the Eagles for a fact, the cornerback set the edge. It's not your defensive lineman, it's your cornerback sets the edge. If you cannot tackle, you will not remain on the field for a long spell. You can get away with it if you're maybe a Sante Samuel who could not tackle to save his life, but because he intercepted 10 passes a season, he got away with it. But in the modern NFL, you can't. If you cannot tackle, you will not be a good player for the majority of defensive coordinators in the NFL. And he has to work on that because he cannot tackle. There's some other guys at corner who are great, like DeAndre Baker. He's not as fast as Greedy Williams, but he's solid. If you run his own team, he's a great player to have. Yeah, I mean, he's currently projected to go ahead of him. See, see when it comes, you know, the second round, the Eagles pick. Greedy Williams, I'll, I'll give you a phone. <laughs> every, every single mock draft has got the Eagles picking a cornerback. Yes. And every single Eagles fan is going, no, we've got six cornerbacks, we're not going to draft one. Yeah. You're all so lazy. They were injured last season, that's why they didn't play well. Yeah, I mean, because, well, I'm bringing this up partly at the moment, but when they played the Saints, they were getting their cornerbacks back and you could see that they were out of step they weren't good because they hadn't played for most of the season. Yeah. But if you read everything about them, they were supposed to be good players, strong players. So surely that's where you go and bring these the, guys the, back. The, the, the game that you were at, the game yeah. you were attended, the Eagles were terrible. They were. In the playoffs? 
oh, different. The completely completely different secondary. Different because exactly. That's what I'm saying, because the secondary got there. So, yeah. I mean, I, I've looked at various drafts, and you look at the Eagles, and you think, that's not what I'd pick. You know, because you just don't think that that's the need, but most well, I mean, it goes. The, the fans probably know better than anyone else. You're a fan of the team sitting with the number two pick, so what are the Niners doing? So it's one of the top two. It's Quinn and Williams and Nick Bosa. They wouldn't be tempted to drop out for quarterback. Yeah. Because if if Murray goes number one, teams will panic behind. What if somebody else take, takes Askins? What if somebody jumps up? Or oh, no, we were going to take him. Maybe number six to the Giants. Well, and I think at number six as well, what you can do there is you can drop out and still get a top quality player. Because if it's quarterback one, two, right, you're back in the top four. So that means that Williams... Um, well, Quinn and Williams, Nick Bosa, Josh Allen, you're maybe looking at then someone out of that. I don't think we don't need a linebacker now so much with, well, the, with the pickups. Raiders might want a quarterback, they might want to come up. It's Mike right. Mayock, he's, he's that's his first year as uh, GM, we want to make a move. You know? You've got to think, surely Mike Mayock's not going to do the first thing is go for a quarterback when Derek Carr's not horrible. You would think. With, it's not, he's and, not Gruden's guy though, is no, he? No, it's true. And actually, Mayock's the. <laughs> For me, really interesting. We have listened, or certainly I've listened to him every year for the past six or seven years and heard his thoughts on the draft and valued his thoughts. Him and Bucky Brooks, the top two, they're the, my go-to guys. Not Daniel Jeremiah? Well, Daniel Jeremiah's absolutely filled. He's stepped up from number three and he's the one that's <laughs> on the rise now that Mayo's out of the picture. It's a Jeremiah Brooks one-two. That's absolutely where I go to for my information. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how he, when he's in control of the draft, how it plays out. Will he be a man that preaches by his own or delivers by how he preached when he was um, on the other side of things? So I think it would be fascinating. But I would definitely, if the, listen, if the Giants want to take number two and we'll take number six, then fine. Absolutely fine. Um, you'd be dropping out the, the. You wouldn't be getting one of the blue chip guys, though. You'd. Well, yeah, all it takes is someone else in that mix up. So it takes, like, the, the Buccaneers who have a needed linebacker to take Devin White. Yeah, but so, do you take a linebacker at number six? When you can pick up a decent linebacker in the fourth round. Well, if you've got Kyler Murray first, right, and you've got, um, let's say, Haskins second, goes to the Giants, right? So then you've got the Jets pick up uh, Josh Allen, the Raiders pick up William, um, Bucks go Devin White at linebacker, so we'll take Bosa. I mean, that's, that's dependent on the Bucks taking a linebacker. I don't see Bosa still being on the board at that point. Not, the, the Bucks are the only one for me that are the mix up to that I just I don't think they need to fix their line as much as they need to fix that linebacker position losing Quan Alexander is a big gap for them now um, that's I, actually a bonus for them maybe a bit hopeful on that one but he's a, <laughs> he was a big boomer bust linebacker but it's definitely a position of need um, but I, yeah it's all that spots and maybes isn't it you know you're you're hazarding it anything else because you don't know who could then come up and trade with the Buccaneers if both are still there at five maybe someone jumps up and goes in front of you so you at number two, you don't leave it to to chance. You you go and get the best player. Um, I would take Williams or Bosa. I'd be happy with either. Personally. Not Josh Allen. I think that Josh Allen. Yeah, I don't know. I feel what, like what, what defense are the Niners running next year? Good question. Uh, under Shanahan, it's well under Shanahan. It's a four three. I'm pretty sure. Um, but it's. It's changing and it's evolving because you've put, because there's pieces moving all you, over the place. You put a lot of first round picks into the defensive line, haven't you? Yep. Solomon Thomas, who had a bad year last year, DeForest Buckner. Buckner. But but look at the Colts. I think the graphic came up on their 
in their playoff game that their front four were all, I think, one to th- 44, I think, was the lowest pick of their front line. So they heavily invested in protecting Andrew Luck. Yeah. And that's paid off. And to me, if if in doubt, you want somebody up there that's going to protect your best asset, your quarterback. So I think that, you know, it is interesting. That's where sometimes, you know, the, the linebacker, mm, not so convinced in certain circumstances. We'll just have to wait and see I how totally, it goes. Totally. Who are the other players then? We've obviously covered some of the biggest names. We'll touch on wide receivers, but any other players before we touch on wide receivers that right. your fans... Interested I've, in seeing where they go. I've got a list here. I've got a list of guys who, if 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 your team picks them, you're happy, right? Andre Dillard, offensive tackle. Yeah. He's the best pass blocker in the, the draft. Devin Bush, linebacker at Michigan. Um, he's going to go later in the first round, I think, but he might be better than um, White. Mm. Uh, this, guy's, this guy's... Everybody's just raving about this guy. TJ Hawkinson, tight end. Yeah. Because the he, complete tight end is what's yeah, he, he, he's ragdolling people. He's pancaking, blocking defensive ends. Um, Garrett Bradbury, centre. Um, I think he's North Carolina State. Very mobile centre. He's good for a team that runs zone runs or runs a lot of um, screen plays. Jonah Williams, who is tackle at Alabama, but he's probably going to move into guard. Uh, Dalton Reisner, who is a tackle at Kansas State. He's going to move into guard. Josh Jacobs, running back at Alabama, who rarely touched the ball, but um, he's uh, he's looks outstanding. Yeah. Bizarrely, he looks like an excellent blocker for yeah. a running back. Um, and Andy and Andy Isabella, um, out of I think it's UMass, right. he was viewed as kind of Julian Edelman, this kind of slot receiver guy. Then he ran a four three one at the combine. Um, so everybody went back and looked at his tape and like, oh, this guy is actually really good. Um, if if your team drafts one of those guys, your GM's got a job for another year. There's no issues whatsoever. Yeah, it's interesting because not all of those names are projecting first round as well. So there's a little bit of talent under there, as you say, that people might pick up. People like the Saints don't have a first round pick. So you might have to come down just that little. Well, I've got I've got a further list even further down. I, I I have no doubt. <laughs> um, but but that's what that's what it's interesting because I think you can get up to that sort of twelve fifteen, and then you're then you're going to see where the value comes. Sometimes you might like a player listed there. The running back you mentioned is an interesting one, but you play a little bit roulette and think, no, we don't need that position. We want that player. You just hope he's around in the yeah, second round. Best available player versus need, and that's where it yeah. comes down to, and that's where you you live or you die by it. Something. It's, it's not just it's not just player versus need. It's also versus positional yeah. value because the hierarchy is if you want to build a winning franchise, you've got to have a quarterback, two tackles to protect, defensive end to rush, cornerbacks to um, defend, and then you fill in. You put in your guards, your centers, your linebackers, your running backs, your safeties. They're not as valuable, but your tackles, your quarterbacks, they are the the premium, and your defensive ends, they are the premium guys in the draft. And that's that's where the 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 rush will go on them. You'll see one defensive end or two defensive end drops off, and then suddenly bang 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 bang, all these guys go, or two guys go at quarterback, and all of a sudden there's a panic. Somebody trades up to get a guy who should have been in second round. The, the, how many quarterbacks can you list that went in the first round that should never have went oh, in yeah. the first round just because teams panic 
Um, and that, that's the way it works. So you're going to end up having guys that are going to have Pro Bowl careers and they're going to be taken in the second and the third round because it's it's um, a two, three-year leash for a coach or a, a GM and it's for a lot of them it's the now and that they want to get in um, players at more of a need rather than what their value is to the franchise. Yeah, if it's keeping you in a job, that's that's exactly what you're needing to get in. I mean, I, I'm a big best player available guy because if the guy is that good, you'll be able to slot him in somewhere. But they never take the punter or the kicker when they say that. Oh, you're the best player. Well, the best player's well, a punter, mate. The, the, <laughs> take, him, take him number three overall. To, to, be, to be fair to my friends at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they, they, they did go high on a kicker once. Yeah, that didn't really work didn't out for them. It didn't really quite work out for them. So um, we'll touch on the, the AF later. I'm trying to remember the name of the punter. He was just outstanding yeah. um, there. So, But again, you, you've just got to pick up. Can I just put in one final thing? Yeah. Rock Yassin, which I'm not being rude, um, he is the, the, the Temple senior cornerback, another great name. Yeah. I actually think that might not be spelled correctly. I actually think it's R-O-Q, but it's still Rock. Still Rock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, as if it wasn't strange yeah. enough. Just yeah. to point out that the person who typed up the Rock draft used to be the GM for the Washington Redskins, <laughs> so I'm not surprised that he's made a spell mistake. <laughs> I think on that note, that's where we'll move on from the draft. Well, right. I, I've got a couple of, yeah, yeah, go couple to talk about more Scottish. Yes. We like a bargain. Yeah. Right. Some guys that I think are going to be bargains. Jeffrey Simmons, who tore his ACL right. um, just before the draft process. He was going to be a top 10 player. He might drop out the first round. Ed Oliver, he's only £275 at defensive tackle, but that's the same size as John Randall. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of cough syrup, he'll be right as right. Yeah. <laughs> Marquise Brown, wide receiver. Liz Frank injury, he's going to drop out the first round yeah. compared to Deshaun Jackson. Taylor Rapp was a safety, ran a 4-7-4-40, but he was recovering from a groin injury. Uh, he's an outstanding tackler. Bryce Love. Yeah. Bryce Love was in contention with the Heisman in 2017 at Stanford. He had niggling injuries last year and then tore his ACL in the last game. Um, he is a lot like Charles Johnson at running back. Um, great player. Elijah Holyfield at running back um, ran a four seven eight. Yeah, everybody went off him, but he's tough as tough as old boots. Great player, Kelvin Harmon ran a four six forty, but he plays like Anquan Bolden. Nobody better at contested catches in the yeah. draft, and Jachai Polite, who had great production on the field. There's even a clip of him running to like sixty yards to make a tackle on someone, <laughs> but he'd really poor testing. But his on-field player was tremendous. Yeah. He could tumble way down the draft as well. So he's a good player. Guys to watch out for, Devin White talked about him. Yeah. Roshan Gary, nobody knows what his position is, but he's, people are projecting like fifth or sixth. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and a couple of two of the drafts, I printed one today, and he, I mean, he's projected at four. Yep. <laughs> DK Metcalf. Yeah. With like 1% body fat, four three forty, but he's, he was never a great player at Mississippi. No, and do you know what? I was, we're, we're totally going over our allotted time for this, but it's probably worth it. I'm going to touch on the wide receivers because, yeah, DK Metcalf has had, obviously, a, an amazing combine, and he's a unit. And, I mean, the photos of him that came out in the 1% body fat is absolutely unreal. Um, you know, a 433 is unreal. 27 reps, a 40.5-inch vertical jump, 134 broad then he's cone and his shuttle, not so great apparently. 
He's got all the makings of a guy who, if he just runs straight down the line, he can blow coverage and he's big enough and strong enough that he can battle off a cornerback. But I'm not sure that he's a player that you want at, say, the Patriots, where he's got to run schemes and routes and, you know, dazzle people. AJ Brown, for me, uh, Antonio's cousin, and we'll come on to Antonio later. Um, he Is he Antonio's cousin as well? Because Marquis Brown's Antonio's cousin. Oh yeah, sorry, Marquis Brown. I've got them wrong. Yeah, you're right. Marquis Brown is a cousin of Antonio. AJ Brown is the other old Miss wide yes. receiver. Sorry, apologies. But it's six foot one, so he's two inches shorter. Uh, he's slightly heavier. Four four nine run, nineteen reps, thirty six point five vertical, one hundred twenty broad jump. Fine, but his numbers out of college are way better than Metcalf's. Like substantially better. And um, he's clearly the number one old Miss wide receiver. Yet, obviously, Metcalf, because of the numbers yeah. and the statistics, is the player that seems to be higher up the ranks. I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah, Metcalf dropped 10% of his passes. Yeah. So 10% of the passes hit his hands, he dropped. I'm not I'm not picking a player that's dropping passes. Just because he's got ripped abs. Yeah. And he's pretty quick. One thing I'm confused about, Dexter Lawrence, defensive tackle from um, Clemson. He's £342. But he failed a PED test. Oh. What was he... What? <laughs> yeah, what's he, what's he building? <laughs> no, I don't... Uh, um, but there's some there's some value later on. One guy that nobody's really talking about is Will Greer at quarterback out of West Virginia. Who I think is a great player. He's really accurate. He doesn't have a strong arm. But he's one of the best in the college football against the Blitz. Which is a, an NFL characteristic. Yep. Debo Samuel. He might be the guy that ends up being the best wide receiver. Um, coming out uh, in this draft, he was brilliant at the senior bowl. He was great. Titus Howard's a tackle coming out of Alabama State, FBS, tiny college, but he was great at the senior bowl again. He, he, he uh, absolutely banjoed everybody when he was taking part in the drills. Ben Kevin out of Washington, great coverage linebacker. You need that now. You need nickel. If the if you're the Tampa Bay, do you look at him and and get somebody else higher up? Daryl Henderson, running back at Memphis. You'll love him when you see him play. He's great. He's he's great. Ben Powers, guard at Oklahoma. Travion Williams, running back at Texas A&M. Talking about fifth, sixth round guy, but he's yeah. going to be a, a third down running back in the NFL. Chase Vinovich um, from um, Michigan at defensive end. Great player. Hjaltif <laughs> Hoholt from Arkansas. was Danish, apparently. Centre guard. Michael Dieter at Wisconsin, a guard. Rodney Anderson missed most of 2018, uh, injured in like the 35th play of the season. Everybody's forgotten about him, but he was the running back for, um, forgotten his name now, the quarterback of Cleveland. Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield. Yeah. He was the running back for Baker Mayfield that season. And he's a good player. He probably goes an undrafted free agent because he's injury. So there's talent all the way right down that, that draft. It's not just in the, the first round that's that's when you know you've got a good team when you can pick these guys out and you can get them in on your roster absolutely lots of exciting names there lots to come the NFL draft just weeks away so it's going to be a big couple of weeks for Cam Craig of the Carolina Havoc he's hoping to make his debut for them Cameron caught up with him just a few days ago so delighted to be joined once again by Cam Craig, who we can now say officially is a team member of the Carolina Havoc. So thank you for joining us again, Cam. 
last time we spoke to you, you were about to head off to the States and take part in camp. So let's go back to that then and take us through what happened uh, in your journey when you started off in Carolina. Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you again for having me. It's always a pleasure to be on. Um, back to camp. Um, what what a hard two weeks it was. Um, very, very, very um, strenuous, very tiring indeed. Um, I, I can't explain how much I've learned though through the process um, about the game, um, about the psychology of the game, about everything in all aspects. Um, camp was uh, camp was definitely the the biggest learning curve I've done in the game. Um, so far um, in that next level step um, and it definitely had had challenges in that um, but uh, but I had a, the, the coaching staff at the Havoc are fantastic um, head coach Anthony Arbour and um, and uh, even through all the front office staff and everyone Michael Rieger Steve Smith um, they, they were all incredibly incredibly helpful and made made the journey um, as easy as it could be um, which was uh, which was really helpful and we obviously spoke to Steve on the podcast as well. He was he was very positive about you. He was very excited about the fact that you were going over there, um, and you've gone on and made the team. So, what did camp actually involve, and how, what was the process then of them whittling down what I assume was a much bigger group of players down to that final roster? Yeah, I mean, we went out there, and there were there were about fifty five, somewhere between fifty five and sixty players um, initially, um, and obviously only thirty. It's a thirty man roster, so. Um, the first day of camp uh, was probably the biggest, one of the easily one of the biggest um, biggest difficult days. It was is a very very simple fitness test. Um, you know there wasn't there wasn't actually a huge amount of football involved. It was mainly a, a, a physical and a mental test. Um, you know there was a lot of a lot of sprinting um, up and down the field. And you didn't know when it was going to stop. <laughs> um, you just had to keep going. And there were some people who um, who, who who didn't who, who couldn't do it. And um, even myself, you know, I was on I was on all, all fours at one point. Um, it, it was incredibly uh, incredibly tiring, um, and uh, it, was a, it was a huge mental test, I think, more than anything else. Um, you know, because as I say, you don't know when it was going to stop. It was it was quite a cold evening, believe it or not. Um, and uh, you know, it was you know the, the cold wasn't so much my problem being from <laughs> being from uh, Scotland. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, for some of the players who are used to you know California heat or Florida heat or um, you know that temp- temperatures you know are very very high indeed. You know when you're running in the frost on the ground, you can see your own breath and. You don't know when it's going to start, <laughs> you know. It can be, it is tiring, and it is. It was a mental, a mental challenge for sure. Um, and then as the camp progressed, that then, um, you know, it became more about the football, and sort of beginning to, you know, introduce plays, and then it would be memory tests of what you could remember and um, how quickly you could react to plays being called, all that kind of thing. Um, so it was a very, very long process, um, and as I say, easily. Easily the most challenging camp I've been a part of, but incredibly rewarding. Excellent. And then talk us through then when you actually were told that you'd made that final roster. How did it feel? How did they tell you? Um, it was surreal. It was. Um, I, managed, I built a very good relationship with Coach Anson, um, the head coach. He, he, he'd, he'd only just stopped playing himself, and he actually placed himself, although he has a family with kids, 
Um, what I loved about it was he actually placed himself in the, the same housing as the team. Um, even even to this day, he's, he's with us during the week and then we'll see his family at the weekend. And the reason for that is to build relationships. And the final cut, um, there were cuts being made through camp and it would be either a knock on the door or a phone call or something. So you're always waiting for that to happen. Um, and then when it got to like two days before the official announcement was going to be made and who's made the team, I actually had my flight booked um, to return home the following day and it got to about half one in the morning. I was pacing around the hotel, um, making use of the 24-hour coffee. <laughs> and, uh, and I saw him um, wandering around as well. And I decided I, I just had to know. And I asked him confidentially um, because of my flight situation uh, if I was part of the team. And we had to sit down and, and he let me know that, that I was part of the I was going to be a member of the Havoc, so um, it was a very surreal moment, and because it was about one o'clock in the morning over there, it meant I could call home as well, whilst uh, mum and dad were, were getting up for work and let them know, and let people over here know as well, um, initially in private, because it wasn't officially, it yeah. wasn't official, um, but that's, that's the story of that one, and it was... Uh, I did not sleep well. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. I bet you'd be. Well, the coffee and the adrenaline's not a good <laughs> yeah, combination for a good night's sleep. <laughs> and the, the the reaction's been really positive, both here at home. You know, we've had people interacting with us. I've seen people interacting you with you on your Facebook. But also you've been picked up and featured by the local news channels as well in, in the States. How's that been getting that attention? Oh, that's been, it's been incredible. Um, you know, the support, the support seems to be growing and growing and, you know, it's, it's people like yourselves I have to thank for that. People through with me through the whole journey and the local news out in, uh, out in Carolina, WBTW. Um, they were, it was funny, I was, I was just out of training in the arena and it was actually our first time being in the arena um, and it was, we just had an everyday practice and there were people with cameras there and I just assumed they were there filming the team and you know, the fact we were in the arena and we had the first game of the season coming up and then a random, you know, I, I got approached and I realised quite quickly it was about, you know, sorry, I can believe it, but it was about me. And um, and they were asking me questions and I, mean, I, was, I was joking with them because if I knew they were filming me the entire time and not the team, I'd have definitely, definitely been putting a, putting a good show on instead of just... So sweating off in warm-ups, let me tell you. But, a, um, a few more muscle flexes would have been on show oh, if that had been the case. Most definitely. The visor would have been on, would have been head to toe under armour. Everything would have been spot on. But no, instead they got instead they got a sweaty mess, but hey you know, But um but no, it's been it's been amazing. Um it's very bizarre because after that was aired, because um, Florence Florence is a great a great a great town and everyone watches the, the local news there and I was Walking around the next day in a gas station, and um, and someone recognised me, which Brilliant. was unbelievable. I mean, I don't, I don't even know half the sweets that are on the counter, and yet there's someone there that <laughs> recognises me. You know, so um, yeah, it's been surreal. It's Brilliant. been surreal, and but it's great. What a great experience. And I was going to ask you about that then. How have you found the transition from living? Obviously, you lived in Scotland. You moved to the south of England. Let's be honest, it's not that different. Um, it's a long way from home, but it's not that different. Well, now you really are a long way from home. And as you say, you don't even know half the sweets on the counter. What's it been like? What's the transition been? What's Florence like as a, as a city, as a town? You know, what's the arena like and the game's been like so far? 
Honestly, hand, hand on my heart, Florence as an area has really surprised me. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a great town. I think the people are fantastic. Um, you know, obviously Anson himself is from the area, um, and uh, and it's funny because he's he's incredibly well respected and he can't go anywhere without being noticed. And everyone knows everybody, and that kind of transitions over to the football side of it as well, because what you find is that people obviously. It's the first time there's been a team in Florence for um, many years, and uh, and we're kind of bringing back the football to the town. And it's a classic story of, you know, the more you keep winning, the more the more support there is that keep turning up. And as games go on, and um, the attendances are going up and up and up, and you know, to be part of that is uh, is is amazing. And um, you know, I haven't I haven't stepped on the field yet in a game situation, although I don't think that's that's something that's too far away um, and, uh, and just being part of it so far has been amazing so when I do get my moment I'll um, I'll be sure to make the most of it and and how's the season been for the team so far then for anyone that's perhaps not been keeping up to date obviously we have we know it's been a brilliant start but in your own words how's it been for you um, you know it's been amazing that you know three three and oh at the moment um, obviously we're in the bye week at the moment hence why I'm back home seeing the family Um but yeah, undefeated. I mean, there's things that there's things that haven't been, you know, it's not been a smooth ride. There's been things we've had to change with injuries, etc. But that's that's football. Um, but in terms of how the team are doing, you can't you can't really fault it when when they're undefeated at the moment. Um, and that's the that's the mentality. That's the mentality. They have it. That's the mentality of the team. All going back to that first day of just sprinting, not knowing when it's going to stop. You know, there's a reason they do these things. Um, because you know they need mentally tough players, and there's not one person on our team and on our roster that is mentally weak um, through the coaching staff, the front office, and the entire organisation. And you know it's showing on the field. It's showing on the field, and um, I have every faith that we'll. I have every faith we'll win the championship. Um, so uh, just got to keep keep going on. Brilliant, absolutely. And I was just going to ask you on that next thing, you know, you're saying you're not too far away from hopefully making it onto the field. What What is the goal for you over the next couple of weeks? Well, the next couple of weeks are interesting because um, we've got a couple of games coming up um, where they are, they are they're classed as sort of um, non-league games. So they're still important to win because your overall record, um, record is important for playoffs, etc., um, but they're kind of more exhibitions. Um, you'll still get very good attendances. Now that that's where the team will start looking at maybe the second string players like myself um, to to get a shot and get get some time under the lights and get some film and, and have the moments. And I've already um, I have I've already been told that uh, in the next couple of weeks I'll be I'll be sitting up. So um, with my parents coming to visit me um, in the next couple of weeks as well. Uh, the timing is is coming, is coming, and uh, and I've been, you know, I do think I'm getting to this stage now where I am definitely ready to to uh, to go on the field and um, and show what I can do. Because up until this point, it's just been about running and, and catching up with with the rest of them. To be honest with you, because you know when you've got when you've got guys that have played, you know, people like Rashad Carter who was with the Ravens and um, Division One and Two. Offense and defensive line across the board. Um, you know, for me, it's just about, it was about catching up. But I think I'm, uh, I think I'm definitely getting to that spot now of 
being able to suit up and, and show what I can do and I can't wait for it. And neither can we. We really look forward to seeing it. So, brilliant. Listen, thanks, Cam, for joining us once again. We'll be in touch with you again in a couple of weeks' time to see how you're getting on. We're fascinated by your journey. We're absolutely going to be following and supporting you all the way through this. You know, the whole of Scotland will definitely be watching with interest to see how you get on. It's a great story and well done so far. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you very much, guys. So brilliant to hear from Cam there, and as he says, you know, he's he's due to make his debut. He's been told in this non-league game he will definitely make his debut. You never know, he might even make it before then. Um, Ian, when you played, you, you played tight end. Uh, Cam obviously playing on the line, uh, predominantly as a guard or a centre. It's all about blocking, it's all about movement, and as he touched on there, you know, the big thing he's finding different is the pace of the game. You know, in the UK, it's quick. Over there, he said, even they are saying it's quick by their standards. So that's something he's definitely going to have to adjust to. What's, for you, the most important set of skills on that line when it comes to blocking? Uh, knowing exactly what you're meant to do. If that, that, that's the, the hardest thing to pick up. If, if he's got that, that, that that's going to uh, help him immensely. From Getting from the quarterback up to the line of scrimmage, you have to know automatically what's taking place because if you then start searching in the back of your mind am I trapping in this play what am I doing you then forget snap count and then you then get triggered and it's offside or whatever whatever. it's getting that confidence to get up to the line to do that once the ball's then snapped initially the biggest um, shock for him is going to be the violence involved because it's bigger guys that are faster once he gets starting and he gets started getting confidence in that then but it's also the, the level of professionalism you get in, in uh, America, how much is actually on tape, how much you have to learn from it, how much you're assessed in every single play. So everything that you learn, you then have to show that you've learned it. So your position coach knows yeah, we don't have any issues going forward with this guy. It's all a massive, massive learning process for him. Absolutely, and it's going to be interesting to see how he gets on, Paul. We've spoken to him a few times now. It certainly seems like he's got the right attitude. The right messages are coming from the people that he's working with. So, you know, it's a great opportunity that he's been given. Yeah, he is not going to fail for the lack of trying and giving it his all. I think that that's the one thing that comes through. You know, he may not succeed because he's not good enough, but it won't be coming through effort. Yeah, absolutely. So we wish him all the best. We'll be catching up with him again to see exactly how he's got on. So we'll be hearing from Cam again in a couple of weeks' time. So since we last met, uh, the Alliance of America Football League has come and gone. It's just disappeared. And it happened in a matter of hours by the messages first coming out saying it's going to be shut down tomorrow. Sure enough, shut down. Everything's closed. Everyone's gone home. Really sad. It's utterly bizarre. I mean, the guy who allegedly pumped in $70 million, we can only presume as a tax write-off. It's weird. They'd actually had more games taken by CBS to go on the main network. The television figures were good. They were beating basketball. Uh, you know, even some really good basketball games. Yeah. So, uh, the figures were working, and that's usually been the downfall of these leagues. It's been their inability to really go get on television, get the market, get pushing. The crowds were decent yeah. in some of the places. At San Antonio in particular, seemed to love the commanders. Over 30,000 people at one of the games, so yeah, brilliant. You know, I just I just wonder if they went a little bit too early because they knew the XFL was coming. They should have had a deal in place to get practice squad calibre players. The producer of the 30 for 30 documentary, What Happened to the XFL, 
was um, the son of Dick Ebersole, I think it's Charlie Ebersole. And when he was interviewing Vince McMahon, he realised that Vince McMahon was mooting, starting another XFL, and he put together television proposals for the AAF to effectively hijack the XFL to do it a season before. And the, it may well have been that they've, they've done it too quickly, but it just seems like the funders. It's like in, in football when uh, a sugar daddy for a football club just goes, nah. no more money, yeah. that's it. And then everybody goes, oh, oh, we're going into receivership. Um, it, it just seems like near enough the exact same process that's going on. So instantaneous, though. Sometimes you get sometimes weeks of warning and mutterings, and there was a bit of muttering at one point, but it felt like they had good grounding. I feel most for not just the players, but it's all the staff, you know, all the writers, all the media teams, all the people involved and the whole league, the whole setup, being told, you know, pack up your desk today because you don't have a job tomorrow. And that's brutal. That's absolutely brutal. Some of these guys, though, can take that experience and almost walk across the corridor to the XFL yeah. and say, look, you know, we've been involved. We've done this. A friend of mine, Chris, was over in Florida and was going to see Orlando and he said, do you want me to get you a jersey. And I went, no, no, I'm going to Florida later in the year. I'll, I'll pick one up. I'll probably not get one now. I should have taken him up on his offer. I just think they got so many things right. But obviously something behind the scenes. The guys pulled the plug. I mean, Bill Polian's involved. I mean, he's a knowledgeable, clever guy. As I say, the biggest hurdle is the television. And I thought they'd got over that as well. The app was good. Um, you know, okay... Being on Bleacher Report telly wasn't particularly great, but they still had CBS, the CBS Sports Network. The level of play was interesting. You can rest assured that the NFL people were watching it because a number of these players have now gone and signed to NFL teams. So, But that lack of having the official blessing almost um, is, is what's killed them. And to your point there, you know, it, it was working to the extent that a whole load of players have been picked up. So... Uh, Louis Perez, who was with the Iron, um, has signed up with the Eagles. And then you've got Garrett Gilbert, who was the quarterback at the Orlando Apollos, who were probably one of the were, were the best team with the best records. Yep. He's ended up at the Cleaver, Cleveland Browns. Uh, easy for me to say. Um, the Panthers have picked up a few. Rashad Ross, who was at the Arizona Hotshots, was very good. Um, the Eagles have just, since we've been on air, picked up Charles Johnson, who of course had experience in the NFL with the Vikings. But there's a, an extensive list of players who've been picked Devon, up. Devontae Bosby, who played for the... In fact, I think you might have watched him play. He played for the Eagles. Um, he was the guy that uh, broke his finger and uh, played on anyway, and then the Eagles cut him. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so unfair. But he was a really good player. He was yeah. just cut because it was a numbers game. With yeah, the they, too, they had too many. I mean, he's latched back on. He's signed for an NFL team. Ah, he's the Broncos. Broncos, yeah. yeah. Um, so Christian Hackenberg hasn't been picked up yet. Though. No, he hasn't, definitely not. <laughs> and, and, and therein lies the danger for him. That was the opportunity to show that he could play. Well, he did. And he, and he couldn't. couldn't yeah. Yeah. You know, I, and it's hard, but for some of these guys, that was the second chance, the opportunity to say, you know, we, we can well, do Well, the, the, the third chance is going to be coming pretty soon with the XFL. You're probably going to see a few names kicking up. Oh, um, undoubtedly, yeah. It's interesting. The XFL actually got some decent names coming in the coaching. Oliver Luck is involved yeah. in the XFL. Um, they've got a lot more experience than what they had. Um, Vince McMahon's come out and said it's not going to be anything like it was. We're not going to have any WWE crossover, which is what killed it. 
Yeah. I was having a chat with, with Paul um, earlier in the week, and it was it was basically the guys at uh, NBC. Nobody wanted involved with the product, and as a result, they had to hire Jim Ross and Jerry the King as commentators because nobody else would commentate on it. <laughs> um, so they're going to try and cut that out. But some of the rule proposals are really interesting as well. Um, having a, a faster play clock, having a running play clock. Um, it's a lot to make it a more exciting game. Not as gimmicky as it was. They're not going to have yeah. cheerleaders. Or, um, the, the sprint to the middle for kickoff or any of that stuff. That no, but they're going to have... You're, you face off um, five yards apart and then when somebody catches the ball, then you start blocking. Um, they're going to have, instead of overtime, you go straight to the uh, extra point, like two, a two-pointer, right. and you keep going until somebody misses. Right. Um, instead of an extra point, you can choose what yardage distance you start from. So you can have a one-pointer from two yards, a two-pointer from five yards, a three-pointer from 15 yards right, okay. as an extra point yeah, attempt. Okay. So they've got a, a bit, but what's a, what might be the undoing for the XFL is every single team's going to be in an NFL market. Yeah. If you, With the exception of St. Louis. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if you remember how good the, the World League was because they didn't do that. The, the original World League, they put it like Raleigh Durham, yes. Orlando, San Antonio. Well, I think that's where they, they have got it right. I thought yeah. geographically they called it, called it beautifully. I mean, San Diego, sticking a team in San Diego was perfect, yeah. having lost their team. You know, you would have thought Oakland might have been another one that they would go to at some point. Because they were actually talking. I mean, we can go back two or three pods. They were talking about potential expansion. That's how well it was going for them. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, it's, we did talk it's a shame. We, we thought that the AAF might have had a jump on the XFL by going yeah, earlier absolutely. and getting the good players signed up to them and what have you. Uh, I mean, part of this is, as well, is, you know, how cursed is John Manziel. John Football, as he'll now be known. Um, it's... A curse for him but last one you're talking about players and if this we we discussed this before and we said whether or not they'll be the worst team in the NFL next season the Miami Dolphins have gone out and picked seven AAF players right away so they picked up guard Michael Dunn linebacker Jaron Elliott running back Kenneth Farrell who was decent yep. um, offensive tackle uh, Jared Jones-Smith linebacker Tyrone Holmes wide receiver Reese Horn and defensive tackle Joy Mbu who I think played for Kegan Beef yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder if he's any relation yeah. to Joe. Yeah. yeah, tell you what, Joe and Boo could have played in the NFL the size of player that he was. Oh, well, about this well, football, you're, talk, what you're, you're talking that. I mean, it, it was revealed today that Christian Naddy, the former heart striker, uh, is signed for the Buffalo Bills. At least that's what I thought I read earlier. It may be Christian Wade, I don't know. I, I think Armandoni could have played offensive tackle in the NFL. He's <laughs> the biggest player I've ever seen playing Scottish football. This is a whole other thread. What Scottish yeah. football player could play in the NFL and what position would they play? But yeah, you yeah, know, you'll need to get that out as a question. Yeah, definitely. That is definitely a, a pod talking point for some point in the off season for sure. Well, the big news of the last ten days or so has to be the news coming out of New York. The New York Jets uniforms. A lot of people have spoken about them. We've got to speak about them as well. Ian, I mean, there, there was always the danger when a team plays in green, they can copy another team that plays in green and white and things like that. The Jets, have they gone distinctive? Um, I like their helmet. I like that logo. I didn't like the the old, the, the kind of white with the kind of green Jets bit on it. Um I don't really care to be honest. I mean, <laughs> it's it's the Jets, really. It's it's. Nah. <laughs> so, I, I still like the Jets logo that almost had the jet. 
plane yeah. and then the jets bleed out of that. I always thought that was their best logo, but you didn't have a lot of love for them on Twitter. No, and do you know what? I think that I'm, on, I'm right in the middle on this, and in true fact, I, they're underwhelming. They're, I always think, though, this happens a lot because what happens is teams announce that they're launching their new kit and then what you see is you see the fan efforts where they've got a blank canvas and the fans can do whatever they want to do. And you see all these great things, rumours, leaks, and you think, oh, that looks absolutely brilliant. Oh, I'd love that. And then what comes out at the end of it is just a bit meh um, and fobbed off is some great thing. I mean, we're being told that Gotham Green's a new colour that's just been invented by Nike for the Jets. No, I'm sorry. I'm pretty certain that shade of green will exist somewhere else I've, I've, in the world. Have like, uh, DC Comics not uh, trademarked that? Yeah. I'm pretty sure you can't use Gotham. <laughs> yeah, well, they've gone for it. So well, Gotham oh, being oh, stealth blacks, the other one as well, is apparently a new colour. To be fair about the Gotham thing, I mean, the, the Jets did use the word Gotham on various sweatshirts and things last year, so there might be a tie-up there. I mean, I'm partly colourblind, so many shades of green all look the same to me, so I'm not really sure. My basic thing is, it's like anything that you do in life. If you're going to buy something new, is it better than what you have? You know, I wouldn't go out and trade my car for a worse car. I wouldn't go and, you know, have my 50-inch telly and suddenly go and get a 21-inch portable. To me, the Jets uniforms are not better than what they had before. That's my yardstick, and therefore, on those grounds, they fall. Part of the issue is, once you've seen the Orlando Thunder jerseys, I mean... You'll never get a better jersey than those. It's the Arizona hot shots. It's like, oh, my eyes! My eyes! But it, we, we were discussing this uh, in a thread that we've got with our new signings that we've got into the team, and it was uh, Jamie Borthwick that had said it felt like the sort of kit you would see in a cheap knockoff NFL Madden video game. And it, I've been thinking along the same things. This feels like the 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 new yike um Jats from a sensible soccer game of some sort, you know, it's just generic it, it and looks nothing. Like, it just looks like high school. Yeah, top, really. It's the two comparisons are the Saskatchewan Rough Riders yeah. and the Tulane Green Wave are the two that I've seen. But yeah, there's been a whole load of high school teams coming out there. But the thing is, like you say, there's only so many combinations you can go with green and white. Uh, but really, again, they're going to look like someone. Yes, but they're not better than what they had. The Jets with the, the you know the green loops yeah. on the, on the on the sleeves. They're not better than what they had. You just wonder how much it is that's been forced upon them. But if somebody in that building thinks that they're the best combination, then somebody's got worse taste than me. Well, yeah. you've got a team that currently plays with a brown top and an orange helmet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah that but, well. but that's still better than the Tampa Bay <laughs> oh, yeah. bedside clock numerals. Which is the worst, which is the worst. Uh, and they're due for a re- refresh as well. So when I said I was meh about it, I think they're, they are very meh. I'm in the middle... And I'm only in the middle because they're not as bad as some people have made it out to be. Oh, no, definitely like, not. Some of the reaction was, for goodness sake, it's a uniform simmer down. It's important, but it's not so bad that it's boofing. It's, it's, it is what it is. It's different. They're not going to look like anyone else in the league. Um, and you know what? All it's going to take is a winning season and no one's going to give a hoot. They'll all be wearing Le'Veon Bell 26. <laughs> Darnold on the back. They won't care as long as they're winning. Yeah. Ask the players. The players will tell you they love them. Because they have to. Yes, they do. Um, one thing I want to talk about then, and we have to discuss them, is Antonio Brown. Um, and we've been discussing about this. We're going to set up a new segment going forward, um, basically entitled Belter or Bobag. Is this a great player, or is he just a bit of a Bobag now? And this is the sort of prime example of someone who, six months ago even, we were thinking, great, you know, he's just finished top 
touchdown scorer, receiving in the NFL. What a great player. And now, we're personally, I'm just, what are you doing, Antonio? Personally, I'm shocked because throughout the history of the NFL, the wide receivers as a position group have been the most composed, rational, <laughs> sensible group of individuals. And for one person to act against character the entire position while being a complete and utter diva, I did not fathom this at all. But he feels like he's shooting at the wrong people. Like, we, going for Juju well, is weird. We were talking about Marquise Brown's cousin in, yeah. in the draft, right? If you're a draft evaluator, do you go, I want to take him, but his cousin's Antonio Brown? And it's, it sounds frivolous, but Chad Johnson's cousin was Keyshawn Johnson, right? And the two of them, you would like, I wouldn't want them on my... They would cause havoc if they were on my team. You look at the issues that Terrell Owens caused wherever he went, these kind of diva wide receivers... <sighs> I'm, I'm looking forward to the result of the poll, Belter or Bobak, <laughs> just to see how many people think that he is. Uh, it's going to be fan, 31 fans, like 31 team fans, and then you're going to have Steelers fans voting the other way. Yeah. <laughs> um, but even since we've been on air, so obviously he posted the whole thing. It's been going back and forth. It seems to have all come up to a boil because Juju got uh, Player of the Year. Now, obviously, they're not going to give it to Antonio because you've left the building, mate. So you're not going to get it. But he's taken exception to it. He's gone at Juju. Accused him of fumbling and dropping the ball. Juju replied saying, why are you coming at me? Come on, just focus on what you're doing. And then Antonio posted this message that Juju sent him when he was a much younger player asking for advice. And all it did was make Juju come across as a better person. So Antonio (laughs) Brown has now deleted that tweet. And since we've been discussing, he's actually tweeted just 26 minutes ago, not giving you media fakes, no more ammo. Enjoy my name, AB. I'm in Cali, living ready to ball, no nonsense. You trollers troll. Too good to worry. The wrong two used. Hashtag call God. So he's just, he's tweeted us at NFL Scotland. Yes, he's so clearly media fakes is. Yeah, we're taking that personally. Well, I'd like to say that I'm in Edinburgh and I'm quite prepared to live my life here and get right down with it and whatever other stupid speech he wants to put out. It's it's a funny one. Is sullied his legacy? No, no. See, you're being unfair. You're trying to skew the poll. It's right, okay. Up, it's up to the listeners of the NFL Fine. podcast to tell us Fine. whether yes. it's a belter or a ball bag. Antonio Brown, belter or ball we, bag. Me and, <laughs> I, I, going back to our previous conversation with Paul, I don't want to drop in our celebrity friends, but we were speaking with Derek Ferguson, <laughs> right. former Rangers and Hearts yeah. player, yeah. and we were talking about the, the kind of old firm stuff, and um, I was saying that it's probably a case of like, as soon as you walk in the building of a football stadium, you should have a box and all the players just put their phone in the box <laughs> so they're not allowed to tweet yeah. because there's so much just stupidity that yeah. goes on yeah. just by allowing people to... Wait, see if you went through just an ordinary person's Twitter feed, there would be stuff in there that would be questionable yeah. as just an ordinary person. Obviously, you're held higher when you're more um, in profile than that, so you need to be a bit more... Savvy, but somebody take his phone away. Somebody, <laughs> somebody just take his phone away. Just send out the oh, sorry guys, I was hacked. <laughs> Found the people all saying that that's it. Indeed. Right, so just before we go, then, one last reminder um, if you're coming along to the NFL live event in Edinburgh 
uh, on Thursday the 18th of April. Ourselves and the good people at the Fitball Cast and the Full 10 Yards are getting together to have an after party at the Golf Tavern in Brunsfield. Uh, I think the NFL UK event is to finish at about quarter to ten. We'll be in the pub by ten. Um, it's Good Friday the next day, so the majority of people will hopefully have the day off. We hope you can come along, join us for a beer. It's going to be a good Friday, it's going to be a great Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we're certainly going to have fun. So that concludes everything then for episode 46. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed listening. We'd love to hear your feedback as ever, good and bad. Make sure that you follow us on Twitter at Scotland NFL and on Facebook www.facebook.com forward slash Scotland NFL Thanks to everyone who's been listening sharing and chatting about the podcast the numbers continue to grow each and every week too please keep sharing though with all your NFL friends and continue to let us know what you think Do come along and join us on the 18th with our after party we're really looking forward to it it should be a great event and we hope you can join us for a beer Our thanks to Ian for joining us and coming on board with the NFL Scotland podcast. We hope to see you on the 18th, but if not, have a great Easter, eat too much chocolate, and we'll be back just a few days before the 2019 draft. We'll be joined by our fourth team signing to preview this year's rookie class in more detail and reveal the thoughts of all six members of the NFL Scotland team as we predict our first six picks. But until then, bye for now.